Yeah. Not, not, not the TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Across the Airwaves, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions on the television industry. I'm your host, Dan Schmidt, tremendously excited over a Bears victory today over the Philadelphia Eagles, putting them in first place in their division. And for those of you who aren't really Bears fans out there or upset with this, too bad, Suck it up. Probably by the time this recording is released, the standings are probably going to change. We'll see. But I'm excited about that, and I wanted to share all that with you. And also with me is a guy that terrifies the natives of Thailand as much as a giant she-male. My co-host... Hey, everybody. It's Nico. On this week's episode, due to the Turkey Day holiday, we only had a review of Chop this week. However, we're going to use the extra time to review two new shows that premiered this fall, No Ordinary Family and Hawaii Five-0. And I got a little TV news this week. Actually, all these items are movie rumors, but what the heck. The first one, Anne Hathaway could be playing Lois Lane in the Superman reboot, Superman Man of Steel. It has also claimed that the part of Superman would be set in the West Africa area, with Clark Kent being the central focus of the movie, of course. Clark, who has yet to be cast, quote, a young journalist traveling for the globe who would rather solve problems and help people without resorting to using his special powers, reported the site I was reading. When he is compelled to use his secret powers to intervene in a crisis in West Africa, Clark returns to Smallville to learn more about his origins and the hero he was born to be, Superman. Now, Superman Man of Steel is geared up for a June 2011 start of production, and Christopher Nolan is going to be heavily involved. Now, I know our friend Elisa Lee will be upset by this, yes. because she would obviously want someone else to play Lois Lane, but I would love to see Anne Hathaway as Lois Lane. Yes, I'm a big fan of hers. She's perfect in my mind. And since Clark is not cast, we should start a big push for our man Tom Welling to get the part. Yes. Now for some Ghostbuster 3 rumors. Ooh. Producer, writer, star Dan Aykroyd was on WGN Radio Chicago, uh, where he commented on some of the pesky rumors that had been going around. He confirmed that they are currently casting and open to finding some fresh new faces. And he added that both Bill Hader and Anna Ferris have been mentioned as strong possibilities, although it's still too early to call. Now, the interesting thing is, Aykroyd, who, of course, plays Dr. Raymond Stance, also mentioned Eliza Dushku's name for a second time. This is confirming, and also confirmed, what we already knew, with Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver will be returning for this one. And that's supposed to have a May 2001 start date. So that's good news. You mean 2011? 2011. That's, of course, 2011. Yes. And finally, some stupid and sad news. Warner Brothers has just announced they're doing a reboot. They've officially announced they're doing a reboot 
movie version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. No! Without, without Joss Whedon, his involvement. Instead, some actress called Whit Anderson, she was in Yes Man and has a total of three acting credits and no writing credits on her IMDb, will be writing the script. This is very frustrating because Buffy, in both previous incarnations, was Joss's baby. And now the WB is going to ruin one of our favorite TV series by not including the creator in this new movie. Also surprising, Christy Swanson, the actress who first brought the vamp-killing heroine to life on the big screen, also has something to say about it. She says, let Buffy live, why not? If they want me to be a part of it, I think it would be fantastic, and it would be a blast. I love everything Buffy. I don't care who's doing it. Well, Christian Warner Brothers, I disagree vehemently. And yeah. that's my news for the week. <laughs> I think uh, you need your uh, sniper on bones to take <laughs> out the people involved with that possibility. Uh, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. I'd heard rumors oh. before circling that there was talk of doing another Buffy. I didn't know it was this far along that they've essentially given the green light to start pre-production and they are uh, actively working on a script so that's frustrating to hear yes very very depressing but we do have some exciting superhero news on the TV fronts Cartoon Network came out with a new TV series involving superheroes and the Justice League the DC Universe called Young Justice and this show had a sneak preview movie was an hour long special that premiered on Cartoon Network last Friday night, and I really enjoyed it. It's got all the Easter eggs and everything that you Smallville fans that love episodes like Patriot, Justice, and, of course, Absolute Justice. If you're fans of those episodes, this show has all the Easter eggs you want. And it's basically about the sidekicks of the big superheroes we know from the Justice League finding their place as heroes and working with the Justice League. So it's a great series, very well animated, right up there on the quality of Avatar The Last Airbender, and it's just a lot of fun, and it may be the show that we need to fill the void when Smallville's gone, because it's got all the Superman, Batman, Green Arrow action you want, and yes, all those characters are in this first episode. So it's a great thing to watch, and it was just a lot of fun. So, Nico, you should check it out, and everyone else who are Smallville fans that listen to the show... Or, just like comic books in general, check out Young Justice. It's a great show, and it's a lot of fun to watch. So with that, we're going to go into another show that's a ton of fun to watch. Chuck. With the episode Chuck vs. Phase 3. In order to escape the Belgian, Sarah, Chuck, Morgan, and Casey immerse themselves in the jungles of Southeast Asia. The Belgian's mission is to discover more about the intersect. Meanwhile, Ellie and Austin dive into the secret Stephen Bartuck left behind. I know with this week's episode, the focus was on Sarah and her feelings for Chuck. But the character that really stole the show for me this week was Morgan. Through his efforts to keep everything under control, as Sarah and Casey clashed over the game plan on rescuing Chuck. Basically... Casey thought that they should rescue Chuck by going by the book. And Sarah wanted to go more of a renegade Jack Bauer route. But Morgan, in his own Morgan-like way, helped the two professional spies come to a happy medium by getting in between them, 
Literally. Also, we got one of Joshua Gomez and Ivan Rehoski's best performances of the series, where the unlikely pair of Sarah and Morgan attempted to comfort each other as friends over the fact that Chuck is missing. And what made this scene great were Sarah's physical actions and Morgan blowing Chuck's proposal plan really spoke to why these characters and we as fans love Chuck Bartowski. Speaking of Ivan Trafowski, she was a dominant force of nature in this episode, as Sarah went all Tomb Raider Street Fighter, or in other words, becomes the giant blonde she-male to rescue Chuck. By the way, with the whole Sarah becoming the she-male thing, What's up with the she-male thing, there were two different schools of thought when it came to audience opinion on this concept. Otherwise, this mainly came from the people that were watching the show with me. And the first opinion was that the male audience thought Rambo Sarah was all about sex appeal. However, my sister and other Chuck fans that I know who are girls felt that Sarah's betrayal of this episode was all about girl power and showing the audience that she deeply loves Chuck in a way that is fitting for his character. I personally really liked seeing more of a rugged Sarah in this episode through it setting up this great theme of Sarah's relationship with Chuck giving her an identity. Meanwhile, as this is going on, Chuck's captors put him into this dream world in an attempt to get him to flash. And at first, this dream world kind of came across as funny. Through Chuck rolling over after making love to Sarah in the dream world to find Lester in his bed. You know, there's pills for this. <laughs> Easy. Easy, buddy. This is all in your head. You have got to get over this. I mean, come on. You really expect to keep a girl like that without flashing? <laughs> but then the dream world kind of became trippier than Inception as this week's villains began to drain Chuck of his memories. Again, with that being said, I was really glad that Morgan and Sarah worked together to bring Chuck out of the dream world after they rescued him. Because I think that they are both an extremely vital part of Chuck's life. And it was nice to see the writers take note of that. Moving away from the spy stuff, I felt that Jeffster and the Bybar crew were a hit this week, as Awesome calls them to help him fix Stephen Bartowski's computer, which Ellie discovered in the back of the Mustang he gave her. Although Awesome calling in the Nerd Herd gave him more than he bargained for, as his fee for computer repair was examining our favorite Bybar character's dark places. It was a no to the colonoscopy? And these scenes sprinkled throughout the episode were not only hilarious, but left me kind of on the edge of my seat because the writers of this episode kept setting things up in a way that made it look like the Intersect was going to be downloaded into either Awesome, Big Mike, Jeff, or Lester's head. And at one point, it seemed as if the entire Bymore crew was going to have the Intersect downloaded into their heads. In the end, the Intersect wasn't downloaded into anyone's head as the episode ended with Elliot Awesome opening the computer to gasp at whatever was on the screen. Now, based on the fact that they were able to gasp after looking at the computer screen, instead of making the typical Chuck flashing motion, I formulated the crackpot theory that Elliot Awesome discovered the intersect on the computer or some information about the relationship between Chuck's mob and Volkoff, 
which the show seems to be delving into based on the previews for next week's episode. So with that exciting question of what's going to happen with Intersect, I'm going to hand things over to you, Nico, with your thoughts on Chuck. You know, I like this episode a lot more than I expected to last week when I said it could go one of two ways, either ridiculous or awesome. Well, it went awesome. I enjoyed the giant blonde she-male. Wait, did I really just say that? What's up with the she-male thing? Anyway, this episode was fun, action-packed, and also emotionally charged. Also, I agree, the Jeffster gag was legit hit this week. Yes. Though I'm still waiting for them to rock out again. This Me week's too. gag with them swapping medical for tech advice was classic. <laughs> I thought Morgan was great this week with his yes. playing intermediate between Casey and Sarah, like you mentioned, so they didn't kill each other. Also, it was great to see him out on a mission again uh, when he went with Casey the last time and ended up saving the day by electrocuting himself. We haven't really seen him on mission since then, but it was great to see him out in the field again. Now, I really hope that the show doesn't dwell too long on Chuck losing his memories. In fact, I was glad to see that it didn't seem to have any residual effect besides maybe some grogginess from the, what the Belgian yeah. did to him and his mad scientist attempting to erase his memories. Actually, this episode reminded me a lot of a great film. I'm not sure if you would think this too, but Eternal Sunshine of a Spot is mine. Jim Carrey. I can see where you're going with that. Right, he has that procedure done to remove his hurtful memories of his relationship with Clementine, played by Kate Winslet, and during the erasing of his memories, he realizes that only through the process of loss does he realize what he actually had. And not exactly the same idea, but close enough to make me think of it during and after the episode. Finally, I think that Elias found the semantics for the intersect and will kind of understand what has happened to Chuck. That's my crackpot theory. Okay. And then for a prediction for next week, I'm going to add that Volkov returns. We already know he's they're coming with Chuck's mom, and they're coming back to find the addicts because they realized that Chuck survived, and I think they're going to force well, that awkward family dinner to try and get those designs out of him. Also, I think that he's going to come to realize that Linda Hamilton's character maybe helped them escape. Okay. So I think those two things are going to play out in this Thanksgiving Day dinner, or maybe it's a Christmas dinner. I don't know which dinner yeah. it's supposed to be next yeah, I think week. It's going to be Thanksgiving. That's what the summary says on TV.com. Okay, so that's what I thought yeah. at first. So I have their turkey day dinner, and mom's boyfriend is coming to dinner. Yes, which should be interesting, and I think we'll get another great performance out of Timothy Dalton. I'm looking forward to it. After last time, it was amazing. And you and I spent probably five minutes yes. talking about how great we thought it was. So I hope this next performance is equally noteworthy. Yeah, me too. I was just glad you liked this episode this week. I know you were leery about it. And I, I did think for a little while that you were going to come back and be like, I don't know if this worked. But I think they really handled the Sarah thing well and her going all Rambo. Yeah, you know, I, I thought so, too. I really loved how they kept referring to her as the giant on she-male. That was actually pretty funny. And they could have totally gone the wrong way, like you and I talked about last week. I think they had gone purely for the sex appeal approach, like you had said, was one of the half ideas for this week that you and your family talked about, or yeah. you and your group of chuck watchers 
talking about. But I do agree with your sister a little bit. It was a little bit of an empowering episode, but also it wasn't extreme on either of those sides that you got so overwhelmed by it. It was a little bit of sexy, a little bit of empowering, a little bit of just good old-fashioned beat-up-the-bad-guys fun. So I liked the mix. The writer did an excellent job. I was leery of it, and uh, they proved me wrong for worrying. So that was great. Well, what helped that more than anything in the world was that seed that she had with Morgan. That on the bed in, on the uh, bed in Chuck's room. Yeah. That was really well handled. It really was, and I like the original proposal plan. Yes. That was pretty funny. With the DeLorean. Yes. Yeah, that was pretty good. But you know, I'm excited for what they're really going to do because they talked about that at the end of the episode that they had to figure something out. Yeah, he said that you, you ruined me. You ruined all my best ideas. I got nothing. So, yeah, it's going to be simple, I think, because the first one was elaborate and geeky and total off the wall. But I think the real one's going to be simple and it's going to be perfect. It'll be good. Well, is it possible that we may get an elaborate one that fails miserably? And yes. he just goes with the simple one? Yes. Yes, that is a great idea. And she'll be oblivious, obviously, because yeah. it fails so miserably. And he'll just come out with it simple, and it'll work, and it'll be even more romantic. Yes. Because so. that's just for the show. Go ahead. I don't want to see that till the end of the season. Oh, no, I doubt that we'll get it till the end of the season. Yeah. I don't think that's going to go that way. I feel like they have a little ways to go before we get there. I feel like that Ellie needs to have the baby and they need to get the stuff with the mom worked out before they go with the marriage thing, I think. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And again, if they do tie the knot at the end or they get engaged at the end, I'm giving it a call that probably next season's going to be it. That sounds about right. I hate to say it, but I, I just don't think the story could go any farther. Yeah, we might drift too much into uh, undercovers, territory if they're a married couple trying to be spies. Yeah, we all know that didn't work. <laughs> so, and we're going with a schematic on the computer then. There are details about how it can be downloaded into someone's brain. Just like overview of what it does and schematics for how it or, or something of that nature so that they understand that that's what happened to Chuck. Yeah. I just loved how they kept making it seem like someone was going to get it downloaded into their head. Yeah, Awesome would be okay with me. He's about the only character I would have been cool with because that's like both Ellie's men are <laughs> super spies and that would be kind of funny And because Awesome's already kind of awesome. Yeah. So, But if it had been Jeff or Lester, I think I would have been disappointed. I think so too. I'm just glad that they toyed with the notion. You know, yeah. They messed with yeah, the I understand. was interested. So that was really well handled and Again, this was another good episode. We were nervous, but another rock-solid episode. Not too many problems with it at all. I mean, you can think what you want about the Rambo thing, but at least they were trying something different. I think the only problem that Chuck has right now is we need that Jeffster music moment. Now, I could have seen them possibly having it flashed while Jeff was looking at it, and it have no effect. Yes. Because his brain's so messed up. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> 
But that could have been funny. But otherwise, I think they went the right route. Yeah, I do too. I think it was fine the way they did it, and I just can't wait to see what's going to go down next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to next week. I think it's going to be a, an interestingly awkward episode. Yeah, me too. So we're going to move into No Ordinary Family now with our discussion on that ABC show. ABC Studios brings to life the story of the Powells. They're an everyday, typical American family who undergo a remarkable transformation after the charter plane they hired crashes in the Amazon River. And No Ordinary Family, in my opinion, is a show that has brought back a genre that has not been on television for a while, the family drama, which was made popular by shows like Seventh Heaven and going back even farther, Life Goes On. However, like many of the other shows out there, it's a no-brainer that No Ordinary Family is a family drama with a twist based on every one of the family having superpowers. Although, in my opinion, the twist in this show does not come from superpowers. It comes from this show combining a bunch of different genres, such as the high school drama, which can be found on 90210 or earlier seasons of One Tree Hill, the police procedural genre, which can be found on shows like Law and Order, and also it's got a little bit of the superhero genre, which was featured in, of course, the later seasons of Smallville, which we've talked about earlier. And through combining these genres in the same form as shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Chuck, and even earlier seasons of Smallville, the people behind No Ordinary Family has created a show that families can watch together, because it simply has something for everybody. Now, on that note, I would advise that the show should be watched by families that have kids or who are probably 10 and up, because this show does have guns, blood, and a little bit of violence. However, it works great for my family, who is at a stage where everyone's teenagers are older, and now we've kind of made a habit out of watching this show together. And despite the fact that it sometimes may come across as corny, my sister is really invested in the daughter Daphne's story arc, where her mind-reading powers get her into trouble with rumors. And even though my brother is into the show for the superpowers, my parents could relate to JJ's situation because they went through the same type of thing with my brother when he was in middle school, minus JJ's powers of being incredibly smart and being able to kind of see angles and make equations out of different things around him. For the reason why I personally like this show, it's simply the characters. Because both Michael Chiklis and Julie Benz, who play the parents on this show, Jim and Stephanie, are actors that I've joined in their previous appearances. And Michael Chiklis has been on The Shield. I've enjoyed him on that. And I've also enjoyed his performance as The Thing in the Fantastic Four movies, which were so-so. But he really was the best part of those shows. And I've also enjoyed Julie Benz on both Dexter and as Darla on one of my favorite shows, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. And they are really just great on this show as well, even though my mom kind of believes that they don't go together very well as a couple. And continuing on that thought, the lead actors on this show are enjoyable to watch, but I would have to say my favorite character is a supporting one, George, who is Jim's kind of assistant DA superhero sidekick. And the reason why I love this character 
is he really kind of gives off this quirky vibe that's similar to Morgan on Chuck. And I think it's great how he always kind of has this tendency to get Jim in trouble with his wife, like a supporting character that you would find on a sitcom. Also, George and Stephanie's counterpart in the lab that she works at, Katie, makes the super-powered aspect of this show fun. However, as much as I like this show, I think the concept of the Powell family learning about their powers, creating conflict in their own everyday personal life, can only last one season. At that point, I really think the writers of this show are going to have to decide if they're going to make this a show about average people who have extraordinary abilities or go full-on superhero. And if this show goes with what I consider door number one, to avoid becoming heroes, which is the first attempt at a show about average people who have extraordinary abilities, they're going to have to go the Buffy route with the supervillains that Jim or the family battles every week acting as a metaphor to their personal problems. Although for this route to truly be successful, they need to bring in a villain that is similar to Spike. Because the first season of Buffy, they did a great job of establishing the characters Buffy battled as a metaphor to her and her friends' personal prowls. And that was really well done, but the show really got interesting when they brought in a great villain like Spike. And if this show goes with door number two, they're not going to go full-on superhero by whipping out the costumes of the Justice League like Smallville did starting with season six. In fact, with this show, I think they're probably going to go on the X-Men route with the Powell family helping other people with abilities. However, if they go this Smallville superhero route, I'm worried they're going to have to crank up the violence, which will cause them to lose audience members like my mom, who's watching this show for the family drama. Again, as I said before, this is a problem that no ordinary family is going to have to face down the road. Right now, I think the show is just fine, and I think with this show having two of the four writers behind Smallville's big turnaround in Season 8, I think they're going to get to the bridge of making a decision and get across without a problem. So with that, I'm going to hand things over to you, Nico, about your thoughts on No Ordinary Family and possibly its future. And also, real quick, some news on No Ordinary Family. It has been picked up for a full first season by ABC. Yeah, I've really the first five episodes of this season. Despite my love for Julie Benz and continual enjoyment of Michael Chiklis' characters, I have to say I agree with you that the sporting characters of George and Katie really steal the show for me and are far my favorite characters thus far. George, for his goofiness and overexcitement at being the sidekick and devising a lair for Jim and him to fight crime in, that was great. I think that was, uh, what, first episode or second yes, episode? first episode. And it's great. And I like Katie also for her over-the-top enthusiasm for being included in the gang <laughs> and her excessive superhero knowledge. She's yeah. the one out of the whole group that knows about superheroes. So that's awesome. Yes. Plus, she's kind of cute, especially when she's dressed as a scientist. That really kind of does it for me. Yeah. Anyway, I really like this show thus far. As for the future... I agree that this show can only last about a season with everyone discovering and dealing with their newfound powers before they need to make a decision like you were talking about, whether the whole family is going to be 
go the superhero route for ordinary people with extraordinary powers. So how do you personally think it's going to go the route of the Incredibles, yeah. where they end up having to all work together to save the day one time and realize that in doing that, they really work well together as a team and then to start doing it regularly. But I also agree that there probably needs to be a situation where they go the route of the X-Men where they are fighting and or helping mutants like themselves yeah. rather than just doing the job of the police and handling normal criminals. That's how I see the show going forward is that they might be fighting like Jim has been doing thus far, the criminals, and we might see a new mutant every week or we might see a new, I'm calling them mutants because that's the X-Men yeah, thing, but these extraordinary humans or whatever they're going to call them in this series. But since they haven't named them yet, I'm going to call them mutants. So these mutants, there's going to be some that they might gather and they might save or they might be able to turn around like Jim tried to do in the most recent episode with the girl with the earthquake, yeah. but ultimately she couldn't trust him. But I think that we're going to see some of those cases where they are able to those people control their things and maybe even some of them join as other superheroes or when we might get something like the justice league like you said you didn't think they were going to go that route right away but maybe i don't think they're going to go with costumes some of those people no not necessarily costumes yeah. but maybe some sort of a disguise in some sense because basically jj will probably be staying off to the side since he doesn't have any super strength or super speed or telepathy powers or anything of that nature but he needs to be there or have eyes on my first thought was a chloe character where he can see everything that's going on because maybe one of them's wearing glasses or something and he'll be the strategy guy yeah and so we might see that and then daphne will only be there when they need her powers and otherwise it's going to be Steph and Jim doing most of the heavy lifting. Yeah. At least when the, you know, until the kids grow up a little bit. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly where it's going to go. Now, I can say that up until the last two episodes, I was not really interested in the JJ character at all. He was kind of just there and kind of annoying me. Yeah. But since he started using his powers and now his parents know about his powers, I think he's going to have a more significant role and things are going to improve. The Daphne character, I want to see her develop additional powers. She's a mind reader right now, but I want to see her develop either telekinesis or... Um, so she has telepathy, but now I want to see her maybe have telekinesis where she can start yeah. moving things with her mind. Or even the thing like um, we saw in The Incredibles with the girl who had the ability to project... She could do force fields, but Daphne yeah. might be able to project a, a protective barrier or something with her mind. So we'll see if maybe she develops some more powers. If they're going to be interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, if they're going to go full-on superhero, they're going to have to give her more powers. Because I can see how JJ could function somewhat in the field or be helpful to fighting crime or fighting whatever they're going to fight. But being able to read people's minds... I don't know if that's enough for Daphne to feel vital to the team, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Yeah, I agree that her powers are, while they are probably the most useful for a normal individual, they are the least useful for a 
superhero because yeah you might know what the other person's going to do but without any additional folks and she has no fighting skill to speak of she's not like martial artist or have taken kickboxing or boxing or any of those things she might know what the person's going to do but can't do anything about it because she has no training so either she needs to go through some massive mixed martial arts training and become a pretty decent fighter which just from looking at Kay Panovic, she doesn't exactly have the body for it. She's not muscular and athletic looking. She's a thin, attractive looking girl, but not muscular, not the superhero type. So I think she's going to have to develop some other abilities if she's going into the field as a uh, crime fighter. Well, and I also feel like eventually, I think as the kids get older on the show, because I know Kay Panovic is like 20, but as their characters kind of get older and go through school, I feel like it's going to become more of their show than the parents. Okay. And that's not going to be for a while, but I really think that one of the kids, or maybe both of the kids, that their part's going to grow bigger. But, I mean, we'll see. Yeah, you can almost see that Panabaker's part, or Daffy's part, in the first three episodes, the main uh, driving factor of the story. She seems to have the most encounters. Then we got into the football and the cheating allegations for JJ, but I don't see where JJ can go yet. And I'm, I'm glad to see more of him, and I think it's going to even out between those two, but I think that it's going to be a little while before they can start interacting and stealing more of the screen time, because you have two excellent actors in Julie Benz and, and Michael Chiklis to play Jim and Seth, so not using their talent and using giving them the most screen time would be a waste. Not to say that the actress, Kate Pennebaker, or I don't even remember the actor who plays J.J., yeah. uh, his name. Not to say that they haven't done a good job. I'm just saying that you have very skilled actors who have led, well, Michael Ciclis has been a leading man in this is his third series that I'm yeah. aware of. And Julie has not been the leading lady in the series before, but she's had many successful supporting roles. Yeah, so, I, I don't think, know if they're going to move away from them. So. I think that's a down-the-road thing. Mm. In my mind, I see this thing lasting a while. If they, if play they the, don't fall prey to the second season heroes, yeah. then they have a chance at making a, a long-running, at least five-season series. I think they really got a good shot at the Smallville market because people are going to be lost come May. Yeah, they're going to be looking for something to do or watch to fill that void. And I think this show is in a prime position to do that. And I like it so far. I like what I've seen. I'm a big superhero fan. It fits what I look for for the genre. And it's got a little bit more, and I'm amazed that my mom's into it because, well, my sister too, they don't really care for any of the superhero stuff I watch. So I was really surprised when my mom came and they started showing pilots, and she's like, oh, I really want to watch this show. Like, really? You do? So I think that right there is a huge factor on making this show last a while. Okay. Yeah. All right. So does that I mean does it cover everything you wanted to say on this show? Because it's really great, and I think everyone yeah, should watch it. Yeah, I recommend it to all our viewers, especially our Smallville viewers who are looking for something to, to fill that void that they're going to have next season or next fall when we no longer have Smallville. And uh, this is a good show, and it, I'm not saying that everybody's going to like it, but I think our Smallville crew will definitely 
like the idea of having another superhero story, and it's not heroes. Yeah, and it especially goes for the people of Smallville fans are in direct contact with us. I think you guys would really enjoy it just from the emails and other things we've gotten from you both. Okay, so with that, we're going to move on to our discussion about CBS's new hit show, which I think is being called the number one new drama, Hawaii Five-0. When Steve McGarrett's father is murdered, he decides to return home to Oahu in order to catch the killer. The governor offers him the opportunity to run a new task force where he is able to call the shots. Steve McGarrett brings together his own team, beginning with Chin Hawaii, an ex-Honolulu police detective and former protege of McGarrett's father. Kelly has been assigned to Federal Security Patrol after being suspected of corruption. Detective Danny Dano Williams is a New Jersey cop who recently moved to the island and is raising an eight-year-old daughter. Kono uh, Kalukua, I cannot say that name. Kono, but Kono. Kalua. Kalua? Maybe. Okay. We'll just go with that. <laughs> okay. Kono is Kelly's cousin and a rookie officer fresh from the academy. McGarrett's team is given full backing from the government and plays by their own rules. Yeah, and I know, guys, that was a little bit longer of a summary, but with this discussion, we're covering the entire show. I'm pretty sure we made that clear with our our near family section, but I just wanted to give you guys a quick reminder in case you're skipping chapters or anything like that. And to start things off, Hawaii Five-0 is a new big-budget TV series from CBS that is designed to do one thing, bring the action genre that incidentally was pioneered by the original 1968 Hawaii Five-0 back to television. However, the word action is only an understatement to the intensity of this show. Through there being a shootout, car chase, huge explosion, or hand-to-hand combat fight on the epic scale of a movie every week. And if that's not expensive enough for you, get this. The show is filmed on location in Hawaii, which looks absolutely outstanding in HD. And in my opinion, the over-the-top action made sense in the pilot episode and the second episode because McGarrett was working for the military battling terrorists. And a brand new action show from a business or viewer standpoint needs to hit the ground running to gain viewers at a rapid pace. Especially when a show like this, production's values are so high. I mean, really, with this show starting out, it had to immediately be a hit because if it did work out that way, CBS would have canned the thing because it would have just been a tremendous waste of money to them. So that's why this show was quickly given a first season and quickly made a hit because they're spending so much money into it, it would be very harmful to the network if things didn't work out. But luckily they are with the ratings and the network is liking the show as well. Although once this show began to establish itself, I felt like the action was going a little overboard through the show having a lot of scenes where there were criminals running down tourist-filled streets, gunning down any innocent person who crossed their path. And it always felt like that the bad guy was always taking some poor innocent family on vacation hostage. 
And I mean, I get that these situations are a necessary part of the action genre, but on a TV show, I feel like you can only reenact the movie Speed so many times until the audience stops suspending their disbelief and realizes that these types of crimes don't happen in Honolulu on a consistent basis. I mean, literally, Speed is the best example because in these episodes, they were just going so fast near the beginning of the series, it was just bam, 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 and there was never any time to breathe. And I was kind of getting a little turned off by that show when that happened, and I know I shared that with you, Nico, probably in one of our discussions following a podcast recording. And again, since we've talked, Nico, I do feel like the writers of this show have resolved these issues. And I think this began with the episode when they brought in Hero's fan favorite, Mazi Oeka, as the medical examiner. If you don't recognize his name, he played Hero on Heroes. I know that's kind of a funny statement to make, but that's the character he played on the show. And I felt like at this point, the show seemed to calm down with the past couple of episodes since then. And I think they've kind of established this structure for the show that they could go with where the 5L team is investigating a crime that eventually builds up to an action-packed climax instead of the entire episode being one big just chase and shootout. Plus, now that this show has given itself the opportunity to breathe every once in a while, we are getting time for character building, as well as crime stories that resonate from the fascinating cultures on the island, such as the professional surfing scene, nature activists, Hawaiian natives, and the people who suck in tourists, such as the team's large shaved ice selling informant. Also, this show has given us a well-handled, realistic insight on the actual racism that exists on the island of Oahu between the Hawaiian natives and the Hollies, which are what the natives call standard Caucasian Americans, such as Dano and McGarrett. Also, as a huge supporter of the men and women who serve in the military, I love how this show pays its respects to the men who lost their lives at Pearl Harbor by actually filming on location at the military base and making constant references to the heroic sailors who were tragically killed on the ship, the Arizona. Putting it simply, playing up the military history and the culture of Hawaii on this show is really what's going to get people to watch it, because very few people get the opportunity to go to Hawaii at least once in their lifetime, let alone get an inside look at the above ground and underground on the island of Oahu from inside their own living room. With that being said, Hawaii culture is not the only draw to this show. The characters are very enjoyable as well. And as our summary mentioned, what makes them great is that they are all very distinctly different from each other. With McGarrett being the straight arrow military man, Chino being the high-tech cop who knows all the ins and outs of the island, and Kono being kind of the rookie undercover cop. However, I have to say my favorite character is Dano, because he's this no-nonsense street cop, played by Scott Codd, the son of James Codd, who I absolutely love. Again, James Codd was in The Godfather, of course, and some other great movies. I really enjoy him, and I really enjoy Scott for the same reasons. And basically, he's this character that's out of his element on the island of Oahu, which kind of gives the writers 
of this show ripe opportunities for humor through his love-hate partnership with McGarrett and his hatred for anything warm and sunny. Basically, Dan, oh, he's from New Jersey. He loves the place. He loves all the food that you can get in New Jersey, being on the street, and all things like that. And he just absolutely hates having to be in Hawaii. And he's in Hawaii for a good reason, to raise his daughter. But besides his daughter, he just hates the place in general. And also, I love it how Dano constantly makes sarcastic comments about how McGarrett keeps putting him in these highly dangerous situations. Because it helps us buy into all the -the over-the-top action that exists within the world of Hawaii Five-O. At the same time, within this world, Dano kind of fucks his ass the character that we can relate to based on the fact that he's just as in the dark on Hawaiian culture as we are. So essentially, he asks the questions that we as the audience want to ask while watching the show. However, even though Hawaii Five-O has a character well-defined as Dano, I don't think the writers have totally figured Kono out yet. Based on her kind of always getting the crappy job of looking after the kids involved with the crimes that the Hawaii Five-O team are investigating. And in my opinion, after her work on Battlestar Galactica, Grace Park, who plays Kono, I think is being underused on the show because right now I feel like she's just being used as a pretty face. But she's capable of playing a character that is much more than the rookie cop who always gets stuck without backup. And the other thing is, I don't feel that Kono has as strong of a backstory as the other three characters. They've really played up the idea that Cheeto, he was a cop that was accused of being dirty. And really, he wasn't. He was a good guy. He was just kind of forced out of his position by internal affairs at the Honolulu Police Department. And so he's kind of constantly haunted by the fact that everyone that he worked with have turned on him. And then Dano's got the whole relationship with his daughter, which kind of bothers him. And McGarrett has a whole issue with kind of living up to his father's legacy. And these are great, dramatic, emotional things. And Kono's got this issue where she blew out her knee and now she became a cop. And I just don't know if that's powerful enough to make her a character that works within the world of this drama. And I really feel like they need to either get her like a relationship or maybe have a bad breakup or something that haunts her on this show because I think that'll make her character much more dynamic and interesting and more than a pretty face because Grace Park is a great actress. She was great on Battlestar and I want to see more of her greatness as an actress on Hawaii Five-O. Again, I'm not really going to go into too much complaint about this issue because Hawaii Five-O is still in its first season. And many of these kicks with both Kono and the action are probably going to be ironed out, especially since CBS has enough faith in this show to give it a full season. So with that, before I take everything away that you have to say here, Nico, what was your thoughts on the show of Hawaii Five-O? Dan, I agree with you that the show has toned down some of the gratuitous action and violence in the recent episodes, and that has helped to make the show seem like it can have a sustainable future. But I, I really like this show, and it, it's nice to see the character development you were speaking about, especially in the most recent episodes. We've really begun to dive into some of the backstory on each of the characters. I really have enjoyed the guest appearances, like you said, Amasi Oka as the medical examiner and Michelle Borth as the 
Vander McGarrett's love interest. If you don't know who that is, that Michelle Borth, uh, you may remember her from The Forgotten on ABC last year or from Supernatural Season 2 where she played Carmen, who was Dean's wife in the Jin episode when That's he was living in Lawrence. Yeah, okay. in his Jin-induced fantasy, she was his wife. I really like both the supporting actors and the characters are really good because they, one, the medical examiner is odd. And I love when Sioka Oka plays an odd character like that. Like when he was in uh, Get Smart playing one of the nerds that supported the spies. That was a great role for him. And this is a very similar role. And I hope he's back more than just that one episode. We haven't seen Me him too. since. And I'm really hoping he makes a recurring, maybe not every episode, but, uh, you know, at least every couple episode appearance. And I think that we'll see a little bit of more of Michelle Borth's character as well, because there seems to be a, a genuine love interest there. And I really do hope to see that in the future. Yeah, I, I, I want to stop you real quick on that one. Okay. The show has such a big budget. It has guest stars that are recognizable from all over the place. They had the actress who played the Doll Sierra on Dollhouse on there. Kevin Please. Sorbo, who everyone knows as Hercules... From that TV series, if any of you watched it, was on this or show. Or Andromeda, if you're a, a or, sci-fi yes, buff. Was on this show. I mean, left and right, I forget what show he was on, but the actor who helped out McGarrett in the episode where the people on the Arizona were being held hostage, he's a really uh, old, old actor from television as well. Yeah, I wish I had his name, but... Yeah, he was great in that episode as well. And he was outstanding. They had the guy that played Edgar on seasons 4 and 5 of 24. I mean, okay. they've got people from all over the place that are very recognizable. I mean, that just shows the quality of this show. Yeah, the actor in the most recent episode, or maybe second to the most recent episode, was a former SEAL buddy of his that betrayed him. Yes. Uh, he was on the show The Unit as one of the main protagonists in that. As well, so every time they have a guest star, it seems to be somebody who's got some major TV jobs. Yes. Now, I too love how this show pays its respect to the men who lost their lives at Pearl Harbor. That was one of my favorite episodes that you were just talking about when they shot at Pearl on the tour ship. We talked about the sacrifice those men made defending our base there in Hawaii. And if I ever make it to Hawaii, Pearl will be number one on my must-see list so that I can stand in the presence of true American heroes. And as is my MO lately, I do have to disagree with you on one major point. You said that the action felt like it was going a little overboard through the show, having criminals running down tourist-filled streets, gunning down any innocent person who has crossed their path. And I do agree with you that it is a little overhyped. But the fact that the audience is going to lose or will eventually stop suspending their disbelief and realize that these types of crimes don't happen in Honolulu, that's where I have the disconnect. Because Hawaii as a whole is a little bit, you know, it's three times less violent than Chicago and half as violent as Illinois. But there's still over six violent crimes per day. And the average that one of those is going to be a 5-0 case. So that means that in some combination, there's going to be six armed robberies, rapes, homicides, or assaults. So probably one of those is going to be 5-0. So we can figure in a week, we get one of these that's going to be worthy of a TV show. So that's my only complaint with what you had said earlier, was that crime in Hawaii 
they like to make the tourist brochures say that there's no crime or it's a lot less crime. But in reality, there's a lot more than people want to admit. Yeah, and again, that's why I mentioned the whole thing about the above ground and underground. Like, yeah. I know there's an underground that the terrorists, I mean, that tourists, not terrorists, tourists don't see. But I don't know if there's crimes that are happening in front of all the tourists. I agree yeah, the that they thing, happen there. The thing that is surprising is there's a huge underground marijuana, I don't know, kingpin or drug market in Hawaii that is almost unchecked. It's not legal in Hawaii like it is in some states for medicinal purposes, but there are a lot of growers that just get ignored by the state. And so there's a lot of sale of it over there. And I'm surprised they haven't done a major episode about that. They kind of jumped into the drugs a little bit, but not too much. Yeah, well, I think uh, they're building up. Yeah, you're probably right. Now, you talked about your favorite character being Dano. My favorite character is Commander Steve Garrett. I like his Navy SEAL backstory and his straight arrow style. Don't get me wrong, Dano's great too. And you'll never hear me complain about my favorite Cylon, Grace Park, or Dan Day Kim as Chin Kwan. I mean, uh, Chin Ho. But Steve McGarrett gets my vote as the best character so far. I also agree with you that Grace Park is being underused, and that that's something they'll need to remedy in the future. But for now, she does seem to be only used for eye candy and the crap rookie jobs. I'm not complaining, but it seems like every episode they try and find some reason for her to be in a bikini. But at least now her spine doesn't glow when she has a sex scene. Oh, wait, I'm mixing up my shows again. Thank you, because I always end up doing that. Thank you for being the one that does it this time. Right. I do hope that they'll continue to allow her role to grow, and we see her acting talents flourish in the future episodes and seasons because this is a great show, and I think she's the rookie, so her job's going to be, obviously, the less fun stuff. But as she becomes no longer the rookie, or maybe they have to add another member to the team eventually, I don't know if they'll do that. But when she's no longer the low man on the totem pole, or at least gets some more experience, and they start giving her a little more respect as the characters, I think her parts in the show will increase exponentially. I agree with that. I think the rookie stuff needs to stop by season two. Oh, it will. I mean, every once in a while, they might throw it in there just for comedy's sake, because NCIS is in its, oh, I don't know, eighth or ninth season now, and one of the characters who was uh, a probationary agent in the first season still gets crap for being a probie, as they call him, from one of the senior field agents. That's kind of the tradition is that when you're no longer probationary, whoever the probie after you was, you call him probie no matter how senior he gets. So it's just a wrong joke that he keeps calling him probie. And so I think we might still get some of that in this, that they call her Rook or something like that. But they need to move on from that starting season two. Now, the other thing I want to ask you about is, do you think this is eventually going to have an overarching story? Yeah, I think we're going to get a return of... James Marsters' character? Yeah, I was trying to think of what his name... I don't What the character's name was, but I'm not recalling it. But yeah, James Marsters' character from the first... And, and 
think we're going to need a big bad. Yeah. Because I thought like he was going to be, and he's not been back. I kind of figured he was going to be a premiere and finale okay. show up. So I think that that might be how they they work it. And maybe even a premiere, finale, premiere, and then he'll be done. But after that, we need to see a big bad or organized crime or something that they're going up against and trying to build cases against that go more than one episode. They can't wrap everything up every week in one episode. And we need stuff. Even if it's they wrap up the small crime, it leads to a bigger crime or to a syndicate or something of that nature so that they're building momentum. I think that might be a season two move. Okay. And we've been talking about it all season for Kessel that we want to see that happen. And we're finally, at least with the three X killer or whatever they call them, a triple killer. We're seeing at least one guy who outsmarted them or got away and, they wrapped up the one storyline, but it didn't catch the guy. So I'm hoping we get something like that on this show as well. And I'm hoping Bones actually goes back to that. And I think we're going to get that with the Sniper episode. Yeah. It's going to be multiple episodes or episode now and an episode later in the season. So I'm hoping that Hawaii Fight will follow suit and kind of does the same thing. For people like you and I, that's what really hooks into a show sometimes. Yeah, well, you know, we've got the character building. Exactly. The character that's, stories that's have continued. Point. And they've got that toolbox still floating around out there. Yeah. Whatever his dad was investigating with the corrupt cops. And the, one of the villains from the pilot did come back in that one episode to help them take down one of the corrupt cops. Right. But I don't think he's the only one. Oh, no, no, no. So I think it's there. It's just they haven't drawn as much attention to it yet. I'm hoping after mid-season finale that they go there. Because we get what this show's about. and We get the characters. We get their story. I really want to see them delve more into Chino's story. One, because I love that actor. And two, I just... That's the backstory that's most interesting to me. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing some flashback sequences to get a little insight into him. And it would be yeah. kind of cool to see maybe a flashback to McGarrett as a SEAL. Yeah, or stuff with McGarrett's dad, too. Yeah, that would be even better if we saw a flashback from McGarrett's dad with Chin Ho. Yes. The two of them, because you said in your summary that McGarrett's dad was Chin Ho's mentor. And right. that's why he knew who Steve was right away, because he used to watch him play football, because... They were partners or mentor and, and protege and would go and watch his games while they were on, on duty sometimes. Yeah. And so that was funny when he, when he said that. But yeah, I, I would like to see some of those flashback sequences. You know I'm a sucker for nonlinear yes. storytelling. Well, and so is the actor that plays Chino. Yes. <laughs> it's not like he's not done it before. Yes. So I'd like to see that. And they keep alluding to it. They keep reminding us of that. That scene where he had with Dano, where he talked about how the McGarrett's have laser vision. It kind of helped Dano through his frustration with McGarrett in that episode. I really loved that scene. I thought that was a great moment. Yeah, definitely. I don't know how you felt about the episode. I liked the episode where the gang war happened at the uh, football field. 
Okay, that was one of my favorite individual scenes, was the whole shootout at the football stadium. Just because the lead-up to it, you had a little bit of character backgrounds when they were talking about the football and the dad coming to watch the football when, when Steve was playing there. And then we kind of got some backstory with Daniel and, and Grace. And then you have this nice action sequence, and then we see Chin Ho let his cousin go to then later go and arrest him. So that was a great sequence because we got a lot of information out of what seemingly was nothing too special. And that's what I like about this show, the way they do that. Well, and it also played a lot to, I called it racism, I don't know if that's the right word, but the connection between the Hawaiian natives and the code of honor that kind of goes between them. That's a real big draw to the show Sons of Anarchy with the bikers and their culture and their sense of honor and things like that. People get really into that show because of that. And Hawaii Five also seems to be doing the same thing. I haven't actually watched much of that. I know you're a big fan of Sons of Anarchy, but I've only seen a few episodes. And, you know, I'm not too familiar with it, but... But if that's what they're doing, it must be working because it, it's a very successful show. Are you picking that up with this show through the whole connection with Chino and his cousin and the whole Howley thing? Yeah, I think Natasha once said something about that at camp about how you get away from the tourist areas. Yeah. You kind of sense some of that resentment or not overtly racism, but kind of different treatment. I think it was Natasha. It would have been a different friend. But I'm glad that they're that realistic with it. Yeah, you know, it's it's refreshing to that they're not sweeping that under the rug. And again, that's a big difference between the original show and this one, is that they can do those types of things and address those types of things in a way that's not going to offend anybody, or in the opposite direction. Sometimes a lot of old television shows were more offensive than the stuff they cover now, so... I'm just glad that they're tackling that. I think it's an interesting thing, and it's there on the island, so why not make plot lines and do character building off that? Yeah, I agree. Again, this is a great show. Characters are good. High production value. I hope that's not a turnoff to a lot of people. I know they don't like all this money being dumped into something, but this is a really great way to just check out the Hawaii culture. The characters are great. There's a lot of well-known actors, as we said before. And really, Hawaii looks outstanding on HD. Oh, the HD is amazing. It's so beautiful. Yeah, for this show especially. The colors are just amazing. When I watch it live, I don't. it doesn't do justice because I don't have HD down here. But when I download, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. My mom just loves Hawaii in general. And she was drawn to the show. She's not a real big fan of action or anything like that, but she was drawn to the show simply by the colors and the backgrounds and stuff like that. And I think one of the coolest scenes from an HD standpoint on this show was the scene where there was a the surfer that got killed. He got shot off his surfboard. Then when they did his funeral at the end of the episode, where they went yeah, out of the water, cool. and, oh, the water looked beautiful. It was great. Those cinematographers have got to have a tremendous great time getting the show that beautiful island, because it's just very, very well shot. So it's worth checking it out from that standpoint as well. So did you have anything else with this, Nico? I know we're covering this also. I didn't, other than just saying, good show, not watching, try and get caught up over the Christmas break, 
and join us in January when it starts. We got a couple more episodes before the birthday, but join us in January when it starts up again, and we might slip in a couple reviews next season or next half season in the spring. And you want to be up to date with it because it's a great show. Yeah, and I know it's tricky with Castle being on at the same time. I love Castle. I do. I will openly admit I watch Castle first. I watch it live and I watch Y five O later on the DVR. But it's definitely worth taking up the DVR space for this show. Again, some of you might be squeamish with the action, but if you look beyond that, if you look at all the great characters and Scott Kahn's performance and the guy who plays McGarry's performance, his name's escaping me right now, it's great stuff. McLaugh- or McLaughlin? I yeah. think it's Alex McLaughlin. Yeah. Alex McLaughlin, yeah. Yeah. It's just a great show. So check it out. It's a lot of fun, and the theme song is really catchy as well. So with that, we're going to close up this week's episode. And, Nico, do you want to take it away with what's coming down the pipe next week? I think everyone sure. has an idea. On next week's episode, we're back to reviewing an almost full schedule of new Chuck, Bones, Fringe, Smallville, and Supernatural. But according to my schedule, there's no castle this week, unfortunately. Really? There's, uh, I think it's the premiere of Skating with the Stars after the finale of Dancing with the Stars. Okay, yeah. Check our Twitter on that one, everybody. I don't know if it's going to go down that way or not. Because what I had on TV.com is it is going to happen. And the premiere of Skating with the Stars was last week. So we'll figure out that discrepancy. So keep an eye on the Twitter, Facebook for that information. We'll let you know as soon as we get there. By the way, if you want to contact us about our discussions about No Ordinary Family or Hawaii Five L today, or if you want to discuss with us all these favorite shows or maybe something about the Young Justice premiere that you liked, you can contact us in a variety of ways. And the way you can do this is by visiting our website at www.acrosstheairwaves.com. And there you get access to our email. You can pop us an email. And our email address is acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. You can also get access to our Twitter page, which is acrossairwaves. There's no the in there. It's just across airways. And you can also like our podcast on Facebook and get access to our Facebook page where we give scheduling updates on television shows and things like that. Also, you can friend our YouTube channel where we have plenty of videos and clips for movies, the television shows we discuss. We also have behind-the-scenes panels and videos about the different shows we covered as well. And that's all run by our good friend Michael J. Petty, who joins us for the live shows. So check out that for some great promos for Across the Airways episodes and more. Also, if you want, you can leave us a voicemail with your thoughts on anything we cover on Across the Airways. And Nico, what's that number again? 773-809-3363. So with that, once again, I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Reifstead. And until next week, we'll catch you on the airways. Have a great week, everybody. We now return to our regularly scheduled program.